as an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, how can you ensure the success of your business and your quality of life? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. This program will help you to identify and make necessary changes in your life and your business. You'll find the challenges that you're facing and solutions in the examples of lifelong business owners who have entrepreneurship in their DNA. You'll also learn from experts who've transformed their mindset and skills to become industry leaders. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Isaac Tolpin joins me today. He's a co-founder of Convey Your, a technology that helps influencers and companies to connect with and offer engaging digital learning to their communities. Isaac's going to share subject matter expertise, both related to digital training and also on a more personal note, he'll talk about learning from failure and creating a satisfying lifestyle as an entrepreneur. Isaac, thanks for being here to discuss some of your life experiences and the breakthroughs in online learning that Conveyor brings. Oh, it's great to be here, Amda. I, I love what you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's wonderful to have this opportunity to connect wherever we are in the world and just to be able to share our experiences. Oh, absolutely. And you have such a wonderful and interesting frame of reference as an entrepreneur. I wanted to just put out a few tidbits that I learned about you that I found really fascinating. And just to talk a little bit about how some of those life experiences that you've had contribute to your business success. So I learned that you have seven children you established a vineyard together as a family, and you attribute your business success in large measure to understanding the relationships between human behavior, business, and technology. That's a lot to put out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, you're exactly right. I mean, it's been a journey for sure. And I think in my younger years, it had to do with working with lots of young adults in direct sales, actually, and really understanding where human behavior is going, what works, and so forth, and then making a priority at the same time while building business, you know, what really matters. You know, at the end of your year is what's going to really matter, how much money you have in the bank or how you raised your kids and treated your spouse and and uh, the impact you had in your community and the world at large. And so it's a mix of really looking at those different things. And, and then I, I would say... And I bet a lot of people will identify with this listening in that whenever I'm thinking about doing something entrepreneurially, I'm thinking about, okay, is this going to have a big impact on the world around me or is just this serving me? I think things we do, if we're really going to make a create a legacy with our work in our play and our life is we're going to make the right decisions on what we do based on you know, things that matter more than just how it provides for us. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's fantastic. Like money's a resource. It's very important. It makes things happen. But I think the pursuit of something meaningful really leaves a life well lived. That makes a lot of sense as a tidbit around business success from the standpoint that if you're focused on your own needs as an entrepreneur in your interaction with a client, if you're focused on making the sales so that you can pay your bills this month, then it doesn't necessarily convey authenticity to the other person. It sounds like you're talking about coming from more of an expansive point of view, because looking at meaning and your contribution in the world, that kind of locks into something that 
you were born into, like it's your legacy. So it means you're already equipped for it. In a sense, the path is open to you. So if you're focusing more outwardly, more opportunities might come your way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember this time I was a young person. I was in a uh, my first leadership role, uh, management role, and I had a leader with me. His name is Mark Lovis, actually. He's the founder of a custom clothing company now. He was young too, but I remember as he was going out ready to interview a group of people, he was pacing back and forth saying, how can I serve? How can I serve? And that is a good reminder. It's just an example of in my younger years, what really got me thinking about, you know, I want to do, I want to do good in the world. And I think all entrepreneurs do, but sometimes we get caught in our own need. And if you really are in need, sometimes we don't attract the success around us. And so the world doesn't really respond to your need necessarily. It responds to deserve. Like, are you doing the right things with the right motivations? And I think it's really, really important just to do a gut check sometimes and go, hey, is my definition of success right? Does it line up with what I really care about, what really, truly matters? And a lot of times it doesn't because we accept the world's definition of success, which might just have to do with, you know, once I get the house or once I have a certain amount in the bank or once I've achieved this title or once my business has achieved this milestone, then I'll start focusing on things that align with my values and my priorities. Don't get me wrong. There are seasons in entrepreneurship of working really hard and sometimes putting other things that are really important aside. But that should be just a short while. Unfortunately, way too many people get sucked into that short-term belief that I'll just do it for a while that turns into a long-term reality. And pretty soon they look back and they have just tons of regret about it. And they, they might have more money. They may or may not actually, but you don't want to sacrifice those things. So I've learned that if you actually shift your focus to pursuing things that are in alignment with your values, what really, really does matter, and your actions match those things, and you're doing something that causes a greater good, you're going to be in a better sweet spot of your entrepreneurship as well. And I think it's important too, is, is are we doing things that are out of alignment with the flow of you know what our family needs from us? If you're somebody that has to travel a ton and you have a young family at home, I would really look at that. And maybe that's okay because you can bring them with you or you can solve that somehow. But please, let's look at solving that because you only get so much time with your kids and your family. Right. So it's allowing your values to play a directional influence in your life and really help you to make the choices that are going to support your success overall in life. Absolutely. And so I've taken those principles. I mean, I've done a lot of things. I've won, I've lost, I've you know, we cultivated a vineyard as a family on our property. That literally was that entrepreneurial spirit in me. I bought a nice property and there was a field next to it and I was looking at it and I'm like, what can we do with this field? And then I just, you know, at the time we were doing really well. Uh, it was before my big failure after that. <laughs> but at the time we were doing really well. And I remember looking at that field and going, you know what? I want my children to understand work ethic. I want my children to not have the entitlements that I see a lot of young people having these days and to really understand the value of working hard. And I think there's nothing better than your hands in dirt in cultivating something and having conversations, you know, doing something. Some of the, my fondest memories are after we accomplish something in our vineyard when we're first planting it or pruning it later or these things. There was many of these milestones 
where afterwards it's we worked until it was dark and we accomplished something. We all worked incredibly hard down to the little ones. And I'm like, hey, we did an amazing job. Let's go out to dinner. And just appreciating those dinners was far more important than, hey, let's go get a bite to eat, you know, on a normal day. Those were like signature experiences that we did together. And I think it's really, really important that we're not just doing things for gain, but we're doing things for the benefit of our family and the experience of those things. And so, and here's a a principle is how often do we not take the genius we have in entrepreneurship and bring that into our family and personal lives and, and bring that same leadership into those situations. A lot of times entrepreneurs will shut it off when they go in their personal lives. And I think that's a, a big tragedy. It's such a challenge to be able to navigate the different responsibilities that you have at home and those that you have that can be monumentous and monstrous when it comes to cultivating a business. And so it sounds like you're suggesting to find ways where you can integrate the two. Absolutely. And I can even think of other times where I'm running a conference previous to that, where I'm training up a lot of young adults and we had thousands of people in our organization. We'd run these big conferences and I would bring my oldest daughter and my oldest son at the time. They were in seven and uh, 10, I think. And he would wear a suit and she'd dress nice and they would come and kind of be my assistants for the day. You know, not everybody can incorporate their family and everything to do. And, and, and there's times where I can't either. But are we looking for ways to live an integrated life, to not just be this great leader in our business world, but to extend that leadership and influence everywhere else and find opportunities to mix our life together a little bit? And you definitely have an educational and development piece there that you're offering your kids at various stages of their lives. Oh, yeah. If there's any parents listening in, they still have kids at home it is a completely different world to be raising your kids. Like we're all learning as we go because the world's changing so fast. So how you were prepared is completely inadequate to how we need to be preparing our kids today. And I'm not just talking about like their academic education. Sure. There's stuff there. Like, are they learning, you know, aspects of coding? Maybe not every kid, depending on how they're wired, but you know, definitely technology is a big thing. But besides the academic side, are they learning how to thrive in a world that has its uncertainties, but also has greater opportunities than ever. So I think I look at both of those things. It's like, I'm always asking myself questions like, what do they need to know? Well, frankly, I think they need to know way more than we needed to know when we were younger because they have access to the internet at their fingertips at a certain age. And if you're not educating them on all the ways of the world, then the internet will be in their friends. And so I just think it's so important to be a proactive parent just like we'd be a proactive leader with our employees, that same proactive nature needs to come into our parenting world. And so at the dinner table, that's like the boardroom meeting. And I'll be sharing with my kids what's happening in North Korea, you know, the, the geopolitical events and uh, challenges in the world. But I'll also be sharing about cool new technology and, and uh, you know, what's coming. So a mix of reality of challenges and a mix of hey, here's opportunities. And I tell them it's the greatest time to be alive. You know, I'm a, a more conservative person, but there are a certain number of people that will scare their kids talking about just the challenges in the world. But I want my kids to believe they're living in the greatest time to be alive, but also be prepared for the challenges ahead. And I just think that's just another example of, are you taking that leadership into your family? It's such an interesting point that you bring up because sometimes we really have a separation of the two in terms of our roles and you're carrying forth those qualities, those leadership competencies into your own home. 
Yeah, I, I just think it's important. And, it, you know, you, we have to audit ourselves and go, hey, are we tuning out or tuning in when we get home? I think a parent's schedule never stops. I mean, either we're, we're doing the business stuff and then with our families and you might be asking yourself, well, what about my time? Well, for sure, you have to carve out your time. But man, you got to make sure you're, you're definitely giving yourself time because you got to rejuvenate and so forth. But I think too many times we carve out too much time for ourselves, actually. And uh, maybe we're not rejuvenating ourselves in the right ways. Maybe we're just doing escapism and flipping through social media, or maybe we're just not really using our time well. So we use too much time and there's not enough time for our families. And so just stuff like that, I think about there, this is a whole new world, right? Facebook is in the news right now, but you know, how long has Facebook even been around? It's not, it hasn't been that many years. And so it's something to think about as we're raising families and running businesses and, you know, interacting with the world around us. Isaac, that's also a skill set in of itself, learning to integrate as opposed to compartmentalize. Sometimes it's much easier to have that separation in our minds, just in terms of being able to manage the various things that we're involved with. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts in terms of entrepreneurship also about that skill set. You know, like there are some people, for example, who like to introduce their friends to each other so that there's a larger community and people get to know each other. And for some people, it's easier just to have their separate groups of friends and not to meld them. That's just a small example of what I'm thinking as I'm hearing you talk. So I'm curious about as it relates to entrepreneurship and skill sets that are important, how you would talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the big challenge for entrepreneurs, especially if you have employees, is that employees have a harder time trusting their leaders than ever. And so what everybody wants is the authentic leader. And so this is what I thought of when you asked me that, which is, well, how do you be an authentic leader today? Well, it's that you're real. It's that you're transparent and communicating often. Just because everybody's buying into you today, it doesn't mean they're going to buy into you tomorrow. Tomorrow's a whole new day. And so it's a constant, I believe today in leadership, it is a constant proving yourself that you're trustworthy, transparent, and authentic. And I don't think you can accomplish that unless you live an integrated life. I think because they understand some of the personal aspects of you, they trust you more. But we're in a reality show world. And the leaders that are all business and don't let people in are going to have a far more difficult time because you know we have all of these ways that they're getting real-time knowledge about everything in their world all the time. It's just like, think of celebrities, for example. The big win for celebrities is social media because now they can talk directly to their fans. And the ones that leverage that the most, that seem more real and reachable, they're the ones that win big. Now, I'm not a Paris, uh, not Paris, uh, what, what is the, um, the singer? There's a singer I'm thinking of uh, that's super popular. Anyway, she does all kinds of things and connects with people. It doesn't matter who it was. But you get the idea is that you want to be relatable, authentic. And I think that if you're compartmentalizing too much, you could be looking like you lack authenticity. You might be hard to trust. When you know inside, I am trustworthy, I am authentic, it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what you're projecting out there to a whole new way people are interacting in the world. And so I just think that's important to think about. I have, I have been really good at that in my past. I've also had experiences where I was challenged with that. 
and learn from it. It sounds like you're suggesting then that you show up consistently at home and at work, that the same person shows up, the same person expresses him or herself. Absolutely, because young people can sniff out in a matter of seconds if you're real or not. And you can no longer be two different people. And not that they would necessarily, but let's say they ran into you in the bar. If they see a completely different person than you project in your work, you've lost them maybe forever. And I just think people are intolerant of hypocritical leadership. Just look at all of the government people, the heroes that are letting people down, the corruption that's out there. We have to constantly be fighting against that, looking the opposite of that, being completely, not just looking right, but here's the word. So my dad is a carpenter by trade. He's an author nowadays, but fine woodworking. And it reminds me of him because the word integrity comes from a piece of wood uh, is one place it comes from. And that a wood has integrity if it's solid throughout, meaning its strength is solid in all aspects of that piece of wood. But we all know there's some wood with like maybe a knot in it that creates weakness or a little break or a crack somewhere. That would be a board that lacks integrity, that under pressure, it's going to break. And we want to have complete integrity where there's no chance for anything to happen. You, you just look at the Me Too movement and all these things. There's a benefit of this happening, which is in, in social media and the internet and everything, which is there is a massive accountability now. If there's skeletons in the closet, well, they're going to come out now. So let's just let's just make sure we're not having any of those. Hey, do people make mistakes? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, the cost is high if we're consistently making the same mistakes. Isaac, how do you think that recommendation of really showing up authentically plays out if you're an executive with a company like American Express? compared to someone who runs his or her own company, right? Because if you run your own company, then really revealing who you are and sharing your, so your story is such an, an integral part of your brand. You're representing yourself. And when you're representing a larger organization and the organization's brand, how do you think, is, do you see a difference between the two? I think there is. I mean, obviously, in a, in working as an executive for a corporate, you, you're, you're maintaining the corporate brand that was there and upheld before you arrived, probably. And so I think, obviously, you got to pay attention to that. But at the same time, it is the same, too. It's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't get a job that asks you to be different than who you really are. So that's something to pay attention to. If I got an executive role, and it really uh, limited my ability to be who I am in some fashion, you know, for example, people have different beliefs. I'm a Christian. But if, if it was really hard for me not that I need to share it and talk about it all the time, but if it was really hard for me to be who I am, then I wouldn't take the job. And so that's something that I think people need to think about because at the end of the day, why are so many people unhappy? I think because they're living other people's lives. There's pressure against them to be someone other than who they are. I believe God created every single person unique and for a purpose, many purposes. And there's no one like anybody else. And he also made us not complete. Meaning, we are complete in some sense, but he also made us to have certain strengths and certain weaknesses. Therefore, we are born to need other people in our lives, human connection and relationships. 
And so I think that we have to really know who we are so we take on the right opportunities. But there is a responsibility in something like American Express to uphold the brand and be there and just make sure when you're venturing into that, that you can still be who you are. And I think that's really important. It comes back to what you were saying at the start of our conversation, which is about being directed by your values. Yeah, absolutely. And the frame of reference that you have also in sales, where you have this insight into human behavior, because sometimes we don't really believe that who we are actually is going to sell. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have fear around that. So they're trying to, they're looking at who's good at what I'm doing in my space. Let me learn from him. Well, unfortunately, sometimes we not only learn from them, but we start to try to be like them. And I think that's wasting your genius that's within you. There's certain aspects that you want to adopt in skill, but you don't necessarily want to try and become them. There's only one of them and there's only one of you. And let's find our strengths and do it the way that we would do it best. And I think everybody can relate. When we're in our sweet spot, it's when we're truly being ourselves. I have an example of this, actually. I was in direct sales. We were doing $5 million a year in revenue. I was independent, so I was an entrepreneur doing this. But in the whole company, there was 40 of us in this certain opportunity. And I had two states, physical office locations, 32 of them. And we're doing $5 million a year, which is number two, number three every year. I remember thinking, okay, how can I grow this thing? And I remember myself being the lid and just coming to that realization, even though in our environment, we were at the top, you know, we were doing incredibly well. But as entrepreneurs, we want to make progress. And I remember just going, well, what I've learned and understand about leadership is the leader always is the lid to progress. And if you're making progress, it's also the leader is catalyzing that. It's not all they're doing, but it is important. And so what I did is I, I asked myself the question, am I truly being who I am? And am I truly doing all the things I've learned or have I been conditioned by the environment I'm in? Because there's this thing called conditioned thinking where our environment at American Express or whatever company we're in, this is the way we do things, often stifles innovation and new progress. And certainly that happened in my environment because I had been doing that a long time. And so I suspended that. I think the way we get to our best thinking is suspending our experience long enough and pushing back on it to do what I would call clear thinking, new thinking. This uh, author called of the book, I think it's called Think Better, Tim Hurston, says in, there's Kaizen, right? Constant, never-ending improvement. Everybody knows that. It's kind of like the Toyota way kind of thing, lean. But he said if there was a word, 10 Kaizen, then it would mean good revolution. And good revolution is needed today to really create whole new markets. Uber is like good revolution. Steve Jobs is good revolution. Like if Steve Jobs was thinking about making a better phone and he just wanted to improve what already existed, we might still have buttons on our phone. But instead, he had good revolution, suspending experience, suspending what we know long enough to get to new thinking. So thinking anew. And so back to my story, I went into that experience and suspended it. And I spent two hours every single week with no agenda with a, blank, you know, a journal in front of me or a blank Word document, Google document nowadays it would be. And I was forcing myself just to think about the challenges, think about the opportunities, think about new ideas and suspend any experience I have in that and try and think anew. And it was my clear thinking exercise. Well, the end of the story is over 2008, 2009, 2010, when the economy was crashing, my organization surged to 10 and 11 million a year. 
which in the history of that company, 60 years, it never happened, still has never happened. And so my last four years there, we did $40 million in combined revenues in my organization. And it was through this process of thinking anew and really clear thinking and also truly being myself. Like, how would I do this knowing who I am? And how have the best leaders in the world done this before reading books like Good to Great from Jim Collins and so forth? And really implementing those things that are duplicatable for anybody, but I did it in the way I would do it. And boom, it was just incredible to see the change. And a lot of times we're constantly trying to make incremental improvement and we don't realize how much opportunity really does exist and how much easier it actually is. In fact, I worked less in those years than the prior years. I would guess that it's an in-depth story to really shed light on the changes that you made, but can you offer one thing that you did differently compared to before where you were able to really extract yourself from your experience and look at it with fresh eyes? There's many things, probably 20 things. I'll just give one that I think would be really helpful to everybody. The words we use as leaders. So I'm not just talking about you know our everyday language. I'm talking about titles for people. I'm talking about words we use for key metrics. I'm talking about the cultural drivers and distilling those down into a few key words that we repeat over and over and over again that are the linchpin drivers of these whole areas of our business. We want the right behavior happening with our people. So the right words, I think of just to simplify it, the right words in all of these different areas. I found that the words we've been using just in titles of people's positions was the antithesis of the very way we wanted them looking at their roles. We had like the word manager, for example. In some cases, manager is a good word. In the case that we had manager, it was a horrible word. And so just changing, elevating, how do we want people to show up to their jobs? How do we want them to look at their roles and making sure the title is aspirational and accurate, but aspirational in something they're living up to every day versus just some title. I think words are powerful. There were certain things like, you might've heard this before, there are no new fundamentals. Okay. It depends how you define fundamentals, right? Like you can't change gravity. I understand that. But in business, I would argue that there are new fundamentals. And if we're using uh, sayings that are old like that, we might be actually preventing people from being innovative and really thinking anew and coming up with new ideas. And so I just think I really was open to the restrictions that my conditioned thinking was putting on the organization and all of my leaders' conditioned thinking. And I opened that up and I got them together and I got them to help solve this with me. And that's another thing is like, we don't have to solve all the problems. I'll give you one more tip. We need to empower other people to solve the problems with us. I think a big fallacy is that we need, the leader always has to have the right answer. I hardly ever had the right answer when I made the shift. I made sure other people came up with the right answer so they owned it. A more coach approach to leading and empowering. So a question then that you would pose to encourage other entrepreneurs to think along these lines and do this exercise is, what are the restrictions that have been created by your conditioned thinking? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a perfect way to say it, I think. And then it's like, actually thinking is one of the hardest things to do. I'm talking about like no distractions. You turn everything off around you. You're in a quiet place. For me, that was a cafe where I didn't know anybody. 
And I would literally just sit there and I couldn't get on the internet. I had no notifications popping up. My phone was off for two hours. And I literally focused on maybe one problem in my business. And every time I would think about it, what would creep in is the normal thinking, the rut in the road that's hard to get your wheel out of. That's what I would call normal thinking. And what I needed to do is, is push it out. Every time that came, I'd push it out and I'd go, no, 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 no. I'm going to get out of the rut. Even if that rut leads to success, I'm going to get out of the rut, suspend it long enough so that I'm, my brain is allowed to actually have space to think anew, even if they're bad ideas. It's like you're brainstorming with yourself. In brainstorming, we all know there's no bad ideas. But how many times did we already shut down any other ideas than this way that is proven in our company? When you know what, that proven way may be your very ingredient that's preventing you from growth. Right. And that's for companies who have been successful. And in some situations, the change process becomes really hard, right? Because they say, well, we've been doing this and we've gotten good results in the past. And you have these people in the company who are saying we have to do things differently. You're talking about the future. You're talking about sustaining the success. You want to consistently have that fresh eye that you put on what you do. Exactly. And a great way, another way to say that is great leaders, modern leaders are thinking about problems that don't even exist yet, that they think will come in the future, that they need to make decisions on today to be ready for those opportunities two years from now. And that is a whole different level of thinking. And it takes getting outside of your noise to really come up with those things. Right. There are signs that are saying, don't keep going this direction because it's going to lead to a dead end. But somehow you keep going in that direction, you wind up at a dead end and you find that abrupt things happen in your life, right? That all of a sudden, let's say you've been in this career for 40 years and abruptly it ends. Yep, totally. And then you're like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't all that I thought it would be. So let's talk a little bit about how this is all reflected in Conveyor. Just to give people a little bit more of an understanding in terms of what Conveyor accomplishes and how it accomplishes it in a way that's different than other technology platforms for learning and for social interaction. Stephen Ryan is my co-founder and we founded our company together eight years ago, self-funded and you know, hustled our way to you know where we are today, which is two years ago we launched Conveyor. I like to be involved in industries where disruption's needed and there's a better way that helps humanity. We both do. And so we created together a micro learning platform that is the answer to boring and digital training. So I just said digital training. Let's use the word online course for a second. So who here has done an online course before? Lynda.com or maybe something on Teachable or at a college or maybe your job, right? Or maybe you're the one giving people online courses at your company. So almost 100% of the time, people are going to say that's a really boring experience. I do not look forward to that experience. That is something that I don't get a ton out of, or I have to do it for compliance reasons, but I really didn't get anything out of it. It didn't benefit my life. In fact, it kind of detracted from my experience with the company that I had to take this course. And that's a truism. I mean, just think about it. You can think about your own examples for people listening in. And why does it have to be their way with technology today? It absolutely doesn't. And so we, with that human behavior understanding, thinking anew, all these things we've been talking about, We started from scratch and asked the question, what would we need to create 
if we built something for the learner first that aligned with where human behavior is today. And then we built that and we also made sure it worked for HR and the trainers out there that want to sell courses and things like that. I know that you have a video on your website that does a little bit of comparison with other technology tools that are used for interaction, like social media, venues like Facebook and Twitter. And it's very interesting how there's a strong interpersonal component to what you do, where you have that interaction, where you can pose enticing questions to help facilitate the learning process. Yeah, to align with human behavior today, first of all, it's got to be short pieces and people have to accomplish something within five to seven minutes. So there's something called learner trust. And if you break learner trust, they're not going to come back to your content. And that is the fact that every time you give them a lesson or a more a piece of content, um, you know, it's a given that it needs to be good content, but let's say that's a given. But they also need to complete something, feel like it was really valuable and get recognized for it all within five to seven minutes. And if you accomplish that, then the next time they think about coming back, you notify them and there's a new piece of content, they go, yeah, yeah, I have five minutes right now. But if you go to 10, 15 minutes, they're going to say, no, I don't have, and they're going to push it off, even if they're required to do it. And then what happens if they're required to do it, they binge it all at once and they don't get much out of it and they'll kind of let it run. I mean, that's just the truth of it. And so the only place people are getting retention is uh, with their employees because they want to keep their jobs. Higher education with college students, they're getting sub 25% of college classes that they pay full price for completing these courses in digital. So it's got to be short. That's one of the things. It's got to have social learning. So they need to feel like they're going through something with other people. There needs to be a sense of collaboration or seeing anonymous results of how they answer. There needs to be immediate feedback. There needs to be a gamification where um, it's tapping into our achievement drive. And there's a leaderboard and things like that. It needs to be mobile. If it's not built for mobile first, we're in trouble. That's where everybody is. Why would you build it for a PC first and then also make it work on mobile? That's not where we're at in the world today. It needs to be amazing on mobile, but also work on everything else. It needs to have real-time notifications. Like if we're sending emails to people around content to notify them there's more content, you are doing the opposite of what you want. Nobody wants more emails, first of all. The second thing is they associate a lot of guilt with their inbox. There's very few people that have zero emails in their inbox right now. And so those people are like administratively crazy good at this, okay? But there's not a lot of people like that. So usually there's an inbox that's a constant kind of little bit of dread. And now you're adding to that dread. And as soon as they get behind on one of those, especially if you're breaking the other rules, like the content's too long, things like that, those emails stack up and pretty soon they just give up. They're like, that's good content. I bought this and I wanted to do that. Or, hey, I know I'm supposed to do that, but this is causing me anxiety right now. Do you really want your courses to cause anxiety? No. Here's what companies want. They want to have great employee engagement. They want to have great organizational cultures. I intimately understand these concepts and and experience leading these things. And they want employee performance. Well, why would we create digital training programs for employees that are the actual antithesis of the things the executives are actually driving in the company? In fact, what we've created is something that's actually rocket fuel to those three things. And so now that missing ingredient for really driving forward employee happiness and uh, employees making progress, feeling like they're getting the right training, feeling supported in a personal way really adds to those bigger initiatives that companies have. Isaac, for listeners to have a sense in terms of compatibility, how would you describe the ideal client for this technology? 
Yeah, we have all kinds of companies from international bank, as an example, to college, to mid-sized companies, to even small businesses and trainers. And so we intimately understand the trainer world, and we also intimately understand the corporate world. And the software uh, works really well for both. So it works for what HR needs. It integrates easily into other software into those companies. It's a hit the easy button, low cost, easier to produce content, and can actually bring those existing LMS systems to life. And it also works for the trainer world. Or it can stand alone in a company as the modern solution to training. So we really made it easy because I understand the burden on executives and leaders. And I also wanted, not only did we want to make it good for the learner, but we wanted to make sure that the, the executives could hit the easy button and actually gave them relief instead of another thing on their desk to do. And what about for coaches or other professionals who have smaller scale practices? Do you find that this is also a compatible technology for them? Absolutely. We have tons of coaches, speakers, trainers, information entrepreneurs that use it and it works really well. It's very, very easy to shoot your own videos and bring them to life with engagement and even monetize them with merchant processing and all that stuff. It sounds like something that would really distinguish smaller scale operation, a, a private trainer or coach in terms of, like you said, helping the client to be able to track and to quantify their progress and to also be on a continuum with your client, a continuum of communication that's not just about the time that you spend meeting with them. Yeah, absolutely. It's great for reinforcement is what you're kind of talking about there, which is how many times the consultants, coaches, trainers go in or work with one person or go into a group and work with them. And then people go back to the same behavior after they worked with them. Behavior change is really hard. And so now you can have a really personal experience that complements the live training that actually causes people to implement. The cool thing for the coach, the trainer, if they ever have companies as clients, now those companies will see them in a whole new light that not only are they good with our people, but our people love their digital training. Hey, maybe we should create a license deal for more of their content. And so now that can create leverage and more revenue. And I know that you have tremendous expertise as it relates to human behavior. It sounds like you were born with a lot of natural insight also and, and interest in human behavior. But in terms of actually designing the technology what kind of expertise have you enlisted around looking at the human behavior component? That's really good. And, you know, I have an incredible business partner, Stephen Ryan. He's a genius coder, but also a great business person. So that's one aspect on the ability to build it. We spent four years building it before it launched. So it is really a battle tested and, and robust, and but simple to use. For example, why text messaging? Well, the studies show 97% of people open a text message within three minutes. Stats on email are sub 20% and it's adding to guilt. So that one's like a no-brainer, right? Studies also show you can Google microlearning and you'll find all kinds of studies that have been done on, you know, that people are retained by shorter content. It's also a lot of just business experience. So we didn't only rely on, you know, the data out there and what's happening, but we we're also able to rely on our experience. And one thing that was really helpful is prior I was, I had an agency that did the production side of e-learning with existing technologies for celebrity influencers, that, uh, you know, and trainers and so forth that would sell it into the client companies and things like that. And so I was deep in the e-learning space. I was having conversations with major publishers, the biggest publishers you can think of in the US. And 
I was having conversations with deans of Ivy League colleges and people on the boards of these large MOOCs and just really had a bird's eye inside view to the industry and seeing what's happening and just going, you know what? It shouldn't be this way. Like we're innovating everywhere else. Let's make sure that we create experiences that people love. Because remember, in digital training, people don't want just videos talking at them. They want an experience they can actually engage with. And if you give people an experience, you can change their life. If you give just people knowledge, you're going to lose. Remember, knowledge is a commodity. I can go get knowledge anywhere. I can go to YouTube and find knowledge. But if you give people experience that leads to objectives that they want, wow, that's really cool. And if you make sure it aligns with what they use in their everyday lives, remember, Steve Jobs kind of transformed our expectation. So in the palm of our hands, whether it's Apple or not, the other companies pretty much copied the iPhone when it first came out. So we have an expectation that everything's a beautiful experience, easy, click of a button. Are the experiences trainers, coaches giving people if they build something in Teachable, an amazing experience on mobile? No. Are the experiences companies are giving their employees in a normal LMS system, experiences that line up with what they use every day with the apps and their phone and all those things? No. Nobody wants to be stuck on a computer. I mean, computers are becoming extinct. I know that's a wild statement. It's going to be a while before that happens. In business, there'll still be contexts where there's computers. But in a large part, people are increasingly in their personal lives going without computers. Well, based on what you're describing, Isaac, it seems as though Conveyor offers an incredible support to people in any organization, people who own organizations, people who are individual practitioners to be able to do something that's really hard to do on your own. Just having that framework that enables people to be able to collaborate effectively, to communicate effectively, to learn effectively, incorporating best practices based on what's known about human behavior is incredibly effective. Absolutely. Yep. Well, this has been like eating a very satisfying truffle. (laughs) Like having such a rich conversation about entrepreneurship and so many learning lessons that you've offered and also insights that you have about helping people to learn effectively, offering them solutions that are going to be very engaging and that they're going to be very responsive to. And I appreciate this so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give, you can put it in the show notes, but I'll give everybody a free mini course that talks about the power of micro learning in our software. So I'll give you a link to that. You can put in the notes. That would be wonderful. And I also want to invite listeners to go to your website conveyyour.com, and that's C-O-N-V-E-Y-O-U-R Y-O-U-R.com. And I'd like to invite listeners, if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, please share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Life and Career Choices. Until next time, As always, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Turn the Page. Turn the Page is sponsored in part by Life and Career Choices, Inc. Host Hemda Mizrahi invites you to email her at hosthemda at gmail.com to explore becoming a sponsor or affiliate of the show. Until next time, make one change that will benefit your life and your business.